Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and today's episode, I interview Katherine Hendy, the co-founder of Alonza Wellness, a behavioral health coaching platform that helps fertility clinics easily provide lifestyle and emotional support to patients for a better experience and outcomes. Alonzo was recently selected for Techstars New York, an accelerator program for the world's most promising startups. Catherine and her co-founder, Brittany Hawkins, started the company after their own experiences with gaps in the fertility care system. Check out their services at alonzowellness.com. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Catherine, welcome to the show. Hi, Brittany. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you came highly recommended by Marion Stewart. She's uh, another British woman helping women's health. Yeah, she is phenomenal. I'm, I'm lucky enough to be in a, a women's health group of 12 of us based in the UK. Well, actually one based in the US who meet each week and she's just knocked my socks off with her passion. She's incredible. What is that group? You meet it every week like a little like tea party type of thing or <laughs> like you guys to get together to talk about vulvas? Like what is that? Yeah, basically. <laughs> that. Um, no, it's, it's a group of some doctors, some scientists, some people working in startups and actually some women who hold incredible positions within the National Health Service, the NHS, and also run um, some of our kind of more translational health institutes in the UK but but it's called the senior women in health group and I consider myself very much a junior woman in wellness (laughs) so I'm kind of just lucky to be involved in it really that's so cool well that is awesome if you could ever bring a plus one invite me I would love to check that out that sounds awesome very powerful women there Um, Well, let's kick it off with your background. Our listeners love to learn about our guests, uh, especially because most of us don't grow up saying we want to work in femtech or we don't major in femtech, right? And so tell us where you're from. uh, What did you study? Did you have a career before this? And and how did you end up here? Yeah, I I definitely didn't study anything to do with femtech, actually. (laughs) Um, I studied at King's College London in London and then I actually went to law school so I think looking back it was mostly because you know I'd read a million John Grisham books like everyone else and probably watched a bit too much Legally Blonde but I think (laughs) I just I really like stories of people and kind of the idea that there are these big critical moments in life kind of life-defining moments if Mm. you will um but actually even though when I was there I loved the topics I didn't actually really connect with the idea of the job that much it didn't feel like the stories or the life-changing bit happened very often it was just kind of a lot of process and oh yeah the law, as everyone knows is quite slow moving by definition and I kind of I like a bit more pace to my day-to-day so that kind of I suppose explains how I ended up doing what I did do I took a job um, as a producer at the BBC in London so I did that for 
about five years. So I worked in the newsroom, um, trained in journalism, but then also became a, a researcher and producer. So I worked on award-winning current affairs content. So that was across radio, TV, online content, kind of longer form current affairs stuff. Wow. That, yeah, that's kind of, I suppose, the start of what has really led into the rest of my career and where I am now, which is this idea of taking information and turning it into content that can touch people's lives or that mm. people can really use. Mm-hmm. So I actually, in between that, lived in Africa for five years. So I was working um, communications and content and research for NGOs and for businesses and kind of translating data that was coming out of the studies there into narratives that people could connect with, be that for fundraising or, or other reasons. Wow. When you say you lived in Africa, what country? Uh, so I lived in South Africa for most of it and also um, Sierra Leone in West Africa, which is, is an amazing, incredible place, but also quite a scary place. In that yeah. I got a really bad case of malaria and <gasps> yeah, nearly nearly popped it. So that that was definitely an experience, <laughs> oh, but a really cool, cool one as well. Yeah. Okay, so, so what happened after this journalism experience? Yeah, um, kind of, I mean, along the way, I'd always picked up a lot about health and wellness. So I grew up mm. kind of surrounded by doctors and nurses and family and close friends. My mum is, or was, an intensive care nurse. My dad is an engineer, um, I suppose what we might call nowadays a multi-time entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. He left engineering some of the same stuff. And... I um, got my vinyasa yoga instructor qualification and I kind of widely read around Western medicine, but also a lot more kind of Eastern and uh, holistic medicine too. And my my parents were kind of immigrants to England from Ireland and they emigrated. They worked in the Middle East for many years and then across the US and Asia and South America and Africa actually. And um, so I suppose, you know, me then blending all of this career history with that kind of upbringing is really what led me to that intersection of entrepreneurship and health and especially this idea of sort of blending holistic um health into something digital and something that can work across those different communities so that is what i'm doing now so i'm co-founder of a startup called atlanta wellness and um, it's in the fertility space, and we have a behavioral health coaching platform for fertility patients. And that's amazing, and we're going to get into that. I want to clarify one thing. Did you say as a kid your parents like took you around to all these different countries? Is that what you said? Yeah, I, I went to school in England, but they were kind of working across lots of different places, and we were always heading somewhere, yeah. Oh my gosh, because you know what that says to me is, you know, I work with founders every day and I've been a founder, I am a founder, right? And I think that we have really, really unique upbringings. So yesterday I interviewed someone uh, for the show, Summer, actually from um, Hera Biotech, and she grew up in the rodeo and she was like a rodeo champion. And now she's doing like endometriosis genetics or, you know, and I was just like, you're in the rodeo? Like, that's so intense and crazy, you know? And I always, 
share my story of like I didn't grow up with money and like had me you know my family it was not no one in my family went to college no one was talking about college like I come from a long several generations of trailer park livers you know and so like I my challenges were different right and now I hear yours is like this one that's like international multi-ethnic right you're like experiencing all these things and I feel like um to be a successful founder or to even choose this lifestyle, you need to have had a, a unique upbringing. Do you agree? Exactly. I think you're so right. And I think that, you know, it doesn't matter what that experience is. It can be completely diverse. But I think there's this thread of what I suppose investors call grit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, intensity, which I think is, yep. is huge as well. And it's this idea of, kind of looking at things from the outside in sometimes and being able to identify things that don't need to be there and should change. I hate this, that phrase, oh, because it's like that, you know? Why? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, all right. So let's get into Alonza. I just wanted to clarify that. I was like, I'm pretty sure she just said she traveled the world. <laughs> and I think that's a really big marker of being a founder. So what is, what is Alonza Wellness? Yeah, so it's a digital behavioral health coaching platform for fertility patients. And so what that means in plain English yeah. is it's a, um, a place for people who are trying to conceive or people who are undergoing fertility treatment to be able to access all those other parts of care that they need that aren't clinical. Um, so myself and my co-founder both went through fertility treatment in the sense that we froze our eggs Mm -hmm. and plenty of peers who were going through IVF or who were trying unsuccessfully and devastatingly um, to conceive. And, you know, it's so much about all of those journeys, whether you're doing it unassisted or assisted, is about more than just your eggs it's about more than just your ovaries and it's about every single input around them that feeds into that journey Mm -hmm. so this could be your relationship this could be your work this could be you know that huge amount of stress that you're under because of so many different things Mm -hmm. that could be going on in your life that might be financial let's say but there's this huge huge body of literature now of data that suggests that all of these things layered up can actually have a really tangible impact on fertility so there are obviously some types of fertility issues which are structural, which are kind of biological and somebody needs an operation. Um, and there are other types which get broad brushed as unexplained. And then you've got obviously age-related fertility decline. But what's true across all of those things is that the right physical and psychological settings can improve your odds mm. in any one of those scenarios. Um, and at the moment, unfortunately, that's not happening for people who are at home alone, struggling and trying to conceive. And it's mm-hmm. not broadly happening for people that go to fertility clinics and pay a huge amount of money for assistance in, in getting pregnant. And certainly um, in our case and in so many interviews that we've conducted with people and um, amazing researchers that we've spoken to from everywhere from Cambridge University to UCSF to Yale who are um, who've conducted quantitative and qualitative analyses of people's experiences um no one feels like they're getting enough help mm-hmm. and definitely that was our case and you hear that enough and you go through it yourself enough and you kind of start to feel a bit angry about it like this is this is wrong it doesn't actually need to be like this um and so 
Britt, who is my co-founder, um, another Brittany, she, <laughs> she and I happen to be um, at this point, at this inflection point in our lives at the same time, although for very different reasons. So I was getting divorced to, I suppose, what in America you might call my college sweetheart mm-hmm. um, at 31. Britt um, was married, is still happily married, but her and her husband were living overseas, um, both working in startups, mm. not a situation where they were feeling at all ready to start a family. Um, and so we were kind of coming at this at the same time and sharing our experiences and hearing from other people about it. And we thought, okay, well, let's see if we can do something about this. Taking my background around kind of um, content production, storytelling, and Brit's background, having, I mean, she's a Silicon Valley native and she worked in tech since probably before she could walk. <laughs> and her sort of second nature to improve things if you can mm-hmm. digitally and at scale. Yeah. Um, so we started working with a team of nearly 30 fertility experts, so doctors, scientists, anthropologists from around the world, and saying, what what is this analysis of all the data that's out there and of the, not just the sort of lifestyle and um, emotional health components of how we can better support people, but actually also on the, the kind of infrastructure side and what is that process, what is that user journey, if you will, look like in fertility at the moment and finding the gaps in them over and above the ones we ourselves have experienced and designing a system that can work via fertility clinics and also directly to patients um, in a way that can fill some of those gaps. Mm. Um so, yeah, we actually started focusing specifically on egg freezing because that had been our own area of expertise, our own focus. And we ended up writing a book initially as almost a way to quickly disseminate all of those mm-hmm. things that we'd kind of drawn together from the huge body of research around the world and the expertise of all these great people that we've been working with. Um, but very quickly, um, people started feeding back, you know, great, this was nice, but how? You know, you can- <laughs> I think this is a huge thing, isn't it? It's information versus transformation. Mm -hmm. And it became really quickly clear to us that actually our digital platform shouldn't be informational. It should actually be a, take people on a transformational and quite a personalized journey through their own fertility journey. Yeah. So yeah, really that's kind of what we've been busy building and working with in conjunction with fertility clinics to build so that that integrates properly into their workflows and their systems and actually you know, relieves their clinicians rather than adding an extra burden to them. Because I think the problem a lot of the time is at the moment, we as patients are saying, we need this extra help on all these extra areas. But clinicians in every area of health, including fertility, are massively overstretched. And, you know, we we don't want people to be burning out on that end of things too. So actually doing it in a way that adds to their capacity and better supports the um, patient experience is really what we've been working at. Yeah. Wow. Well, I've never froze my eggs, not yet at least. And um, what, can you give us some examples of why that experience was so bad that you think you needed to write a book and then even that isn't good enough and you needed to create technology? What were some of the, you know, things that happened? Yeah. Something that a lot of people have said to us and I massively identify with is you feel like just a number. And so I think particularly in this area of medicine where a lot of it's paid for out of pocket, mm-hmm. you kind of 
a bit more of a consumer than you are a patient oh. or both at the same time yeah and so maybe it's partly to do with this mismatch of expectation and service delivery even mm-hmm. in some cases um but but really it's the medicalization and clinical feeling of a process that is inherently partly emotional and partly relational yeah um and so you know we're not saying that we want our reproductive endocrinologists to necessarily do anything other than you know their core competency the thing that they've trained for many many years to amazingly mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. same goes for OBGYNs um but obviously to do that in a kind of respectful inclusive way that treats you as as a partner in the process which doesn't always happen sadly at the moment um but layering on on top of that a way to say to people okay instead of someone just saying oh be healthy that's going to affect your outcome you know in what ways how specifically for somebody who has let's say PCOS or endometriosis versus somebody who's 40 plus and going through a fertility treatment what are the actual tangible ways they could biohack for lack of a better word their mind and body to set the right optimal conditions for fertility for them mm-hmm. um that's something that doesn't actually require or work best with just one care provider in a limited 30 minute appointment window where they're trying to also take your bloods and give you a scan and kind mm-hmm. of talk to you about the actual process that's something that is most beneficially done through a daily incremental multidisciplinary approach mm-hmm. um and so what we're seeing to with our platform is actually drawing together the best of the expertise from many different disciplines so be that clinical psychologists nutritionists it could be um yoga instructors i say this as somebody very biased towards yoga but i do <laughs> recognize that not everybody um loves yoga it's not everybody's bag um but whatever your thing is for mindfulness you know be it meditation or be it actually you know getting out there and having an amazing walk how are you setting up your life in the best way to reduce chronic stress to balance hormones reduce inflammation throughout your system all of these things that a vast body of evidence suggests can help you get pregnant faster stay pregnant and actually um have better outcomes of, of all fertility treatments mm-hmm. and this is actually you know obviously no um no golden ticket and this isn't a magic pill it's not to say that you know um follow a certain protocol or certain steps and every single person's going to get pregnant that's that's not the case this is all about kind of refining odds improving chances mm-hmm. and also beyond that kind of setting up people's mental and emotional well-being in such a way that you're resilient to the difficulties of the journey because this can be a really tricky journey i mean i'm 35 i was um 32 when i froze my eggs and i was absolutely horrified at how lonely and disempowered i felt during the process mm. i felt really good afterwards because i felt like okay i've done something for me i've taken a proactive step and i feel like that was the best thing to have done mm-hmm. but during it there's nothing like you know injecting yourself with a load of hormones yeah. when you're newly single or in other people's cases maybe you know if you if you the conditions in your life for whatever reason aren't right mm-hmm. to be starting a family at the time when you quote unquote should be um and you feel like the biological clock's ticking then you know it's 
it's a really stressful process and so much research shows that people who are struggling with fertility problems face depressive symptoms um great deal of anxiety and here's the ticker like chronic stress which is now actually definitively been linked um in a causative way not just a purely correlative way to impaired fertility as well Mm -hmm. do those um you know chronic does chronic stress though affect like the quality of or quantity of eggs that you release and when you're freezing it so you know we've talked a lot about IVF and absolutely there's so many biological processes that need to happen with like the egg implanting on the wall of the uterus and all that stuff right but what about for egg freezing I'm just curious um does your stress at the time actually affect how many eggs that get frozen or the quality of those eggs yeah, it's always, always a, an incredibly difficult thing to say, and it's really hard for scientists to pinpoint one mm-hmm. thing down because there's so much variation from one person to the next. Even if you take that same person cycle to cycle, mm-hmm. you know, our, our menstrual cycles one month to the next can be really different. But critically, I mean, we all know it. Like, I definitely notice changes in my period when I'm stressed mm-hmm. even. You know, just, just by deductive reasoning, we know that this could be the case. But now there is an increasing body of evidence that says yes. So the the kind of biological mechanism behind that is linked to something called the HPA axis, or sorry, not the HPA axis, the HP axis. And um, <laughs> it's, it, it's effectively when neurons in your brain are triggered in stress situations and there's a kind of hormone cascade response mm. that happens. And this involves all sorts of hormones, not even just the reproductive ones. Um, it can involve leptin, the hunger hormone, it can involve um, melatonin, the sleepy hormone, but we know that those things also can really interact with um, our reproductive systems. Um, to, for the time being, the definitive research that's been done has been done in animal models because of, they're just better able to model um, um, sort of reliable yeah. conditions for the experiments. It's mm-hmm. a bit tricky in humans. Um, but they've, they've literally been able to switch on and switch off reproduction by moderating the activity of those neurons in the brain that respond to chronic stress, wow. which is pretty incredible when you think about it. I mean, we it makes sense sort of when you look at it anthropologically, in times of great stress, so in famine or war, <laughs> it would have hindered us. Yeah, not get- the best time to have a baby, right? <laughs> exactly. On your website, you have um, the whole patient care pledge. What is that? Yeah, that's actually something that we've just launched this month. So this is an initiative. So it's in two parts. So firstly, we're calling on fertility clinics to sign up to the pledge. So any doctor or nurse or clinician that works at a clinic can um, just go to that page and run through the checklist of things on our pledge, which are based around this concept of kind of whole patient care, what it is that we as patients really need, want, and what's been proven to help us respond best to treatments, physically and mentally. So that's mental and emotional health, um, those lifestyle factors we were talking about, providing decent counseling or opportunities for um, patients to reach out to third parties like us about them. Um, And it's also around patient-centered operations and things like diversity equity and inclusion because mm-hmm. not everybody's journey to fertility is the same so lgbtq um, plus couples or individuals um can you know sometimes feel quite um 
underserved and in some cases even judged in particular environments and so just making sure that every setting is able to give each patient their best experience um, is really important and the second part of that initiative um, aside from the pledge is we've also got a simple form on there it just takes a few minutes where past patients and current patients mm-hmm. um, share their experiences as well so specifically ranking areas of treatment and what was done well what was done badly share their story and say you know what are opportunities of ways that we can improve this in the future because we're actually working hand in hand with clinics where we can go to them with information anonymized um and and learnings and say to them look this sucks when this happens for patients at the moment what are ways that we can change this so whether that's you know adding another feature onto our product or whether that's actually just feeding that information back to clinics as part of our mission just to improve the overall patient experience um that's what we're really hoping to achieve through this initiative and how would a woman know if someone's taken the pledge will you they have like a little badge or something you are very ahead of the game yeah exactly (laughs) so um we haven't quite launched it yet but in national infertility awareness week which starts on the 18th of April, April, we're launching um, a curated directory of fertility clinics where their physicians have signed the whole patient pledge and where they've partnered with us to say, look, this is important to us. Um, doctors can actually, we've got a system where they can kind of record their answers um, to particular questions and we'll post them on the directory so that patients can go on there and what we're calling they can do a bit of doctor dating because definitely in our position like it's really hard picking a clinic and kind of knowing what rapport you might have with the clinician you can look at things like success rates which absolutely are important although very difficult to compare apples with apples and Mm -hmm. are definitely malleable on the side of the clinics because some clinics let's say don't take patients over a certain age Mm -hmm. um so their results are skewed positively or you know there are all sorts of funny little dirty data things going on there. So it is a metric, but it's not the only metric. And increasingly patients are saying to us, the relationship, the rapport with my clinician, you know, that's got the power to make or break the cycle. And it really matters to me to almost interview the person that I'm Mm -hmm. gonna give my business to effectively. And so we wanted to find a way for, you know, an unburdensome, non-time consuming way for that doctor dating, kind of speed dating to happen. And for us, having doctors record these video snippets and having that be there on the directory for patients to be able to go through in their own time was the best way of achieving that. So yeah, we'll be launching that on the 18th of April. Awesome. Yeah. It, it's a lot like OBGYNs or dentists. Like you always want a referral, you know, it's like, you never go cold to those. You always are like, Hey y'all, like I'm looking for one. And you, you ask your friends how their experience was. So it sounds like your director is kind of like a friend. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, we're not aiming to kind of have every single clinic in the world on there. We're just aiming to refine down and really pick out the ones that, you know, have said, yes, this is important. And we have the systems and the structures in place where we are working towards the best patient experience possible. Cool. Wow. Well, this has been so impressive. So awesome. Um, You know, we deserve it all. Women deserve it all. We deserve great medicine, great physicians, but we also deserve to have our feelings and 
feel like there's customer service involved, you know, especially when it's an out-of-pocket thing. So this has really been amazing. Um, I have two last questions for you that our listeners love. The first one is we have a lot of aspiring founders. So what's an area in women's health and wellness that still needs innovating? Ooh, this is such a good question. So um, I, th- I think, you know, if you were to ask a lot of investors, they would say menopause, which absolutely has been underserved. But I think that, you know, as as we were speaking about Mary and Stuart, there are a whole bunch of incredible people out there solving for that already. Yeah. So I do think that that is on its way, hopefully, mm-hmm. to being um, solved. So something I would actually say, which is kind of tangentially linked to health and wellness, but very definitely related, is more on the kind of social structures side. So a huge area I think we need more solutions in is around how we can um, set up society with more family-friendly policies. I think this has become so important in lockdown in particular. There's this idea of women doing the second shift, the hidden second Mm -hmm. shift. And, you know, this does have an effect on our health. We were talking about chronic Mm -hmm. stress pathways before. You know, that has a tangible impact on physical health too. And, you know, even at our early stage in Alanza, we particularly being two female founders, are really proactively trying to put policies in place where we say, how can we support remote working, flexible working, and, you know, really put the call out to women, people in general, um, who maybe don't feel there's a space for them in the workplace anymore because they left to have kids and they're trying to access the workplace again. Mm -hmm. You know, we really want to create space for people to be able to do both. But, you know, that's, it's a tricky thing to navigate. So I would actually love to see Femtech founders tackling that, which might include things around bias in hiring processes um, and flexible working as, as it pertains to blending career and family. I think these are undersold, underserved and undersolved areas. 100%. Yeah. Especially if we're looking to, um, you know, decrease stress to increase your health, like childcare and, you know, logistics and working environments. Absolutely. All of that will definitely contribute to it. Our last question is, what do you think the femtech industry as a whole needs the most right now in order to be successful? Yeah, um, I think a couple of things. So firstly, more female investors, mm-hmm. because it's been proven by um, some, some great Harvard research that, um, you know, People are more likely to invest in people that look like them. Yeah. I think it's called the homophily principle. You build more rapport with people that um, are like you. Um, and while we can get into a debate about whether that should or shouldn't be the case, the fact is that it does seem to be. Yeah. And so I think having um, investors or decision-making investors that reflect um, more diverse populations is critical. And I think secondly, also just more of us getting in the arena. Mm-hmm. So I think that particularly when it comes to really mission-based businesses, like we feel very, very strongly about, about our mission. I know a lot of people in, in Femtech do, a lot of other founders that I speak to, and a lot of people that are passionate about the space. But, you know, I think that you can have profit and mission go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes raising capital means you can solve your problem better at scale. And so not being afraid to actually ask for money yeah. and continue to bang down the door and get in front of investors um, is exactly what femtech needs it's more founders who are saying our markets are huge our products need to be out there and we're the people to do it yep 
That's right. Well, I obviously believe in all of that. So we are on the same page. Um, This has been so awesome. Catherine, thank you so much for your time today. So glad Marion suggested you. And, um, you know, I'm really excited to see your pledge come out, your directory. And uh, yeah, this has been fantastic. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Brittany. It's fantastic. Thanks. Thank you for listening to my interview with Katherine Hendy, the co-founder of Alonza Wellness. To learn more, go to alonzawellness.com. Alrighty, Femme fans, please join our Femtech virtual community. That is where you are going to meet a bunch of other Femtech founders like yourself, advisors, investors, potential customers. Um, you can also become a Femme Pro member for only $10 a month and get access to a library of recorded events that we've previously put on. You can also attend Femtech Fundamentals, which is a bi-weekly webinar for founders to build, launch, and succeed. There's a lot going on, so definitely become a member at femtechfocus.org so you can stay up to date. While there, please consider making a donation as we are a 501c3 nonprofit and rely on your donations to operate. Until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.